turning to the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, and uh, it's great seeing you all here today, and I'm very excited for this service, Uh, but I want to look ahead for a moment and say I'm really excited about what can happen next week in our Open House Sunday, and uh, it's the perfect day for you to be a bringer and bring a guest with you. We've done a lot of planning, and we've done a lot of work for what we're expecting uh, next Sunday, and uh, I want you to know with all the work that's been done, there is still more work to be done. And I think work is one of those words we don't often like to hear, especially on Sunday. You know, work is something we don't want to talk about. But uh, uh, I think we all understand that work is really a part of life. As a pastor, if I were to say, guys, I'm trying to decide between a couple sermon series. I was going to do one sermon series on how we should really work hard or a different sermon series on maybe how we should rest really well. I think most people would say, let's get the sermon series on rest. And uh, I get that. It's because we're all busy. How many of you are from the South, the southern part of the United States? Good. How many of you have been to the South? All right. Good. Most of you. And uh, uh, Lisa and I, we had an opportunity to attend college there, and I served at a church in the South. And and, uh, if you haven't been there, you ought to go to the South. It's a great cultural experience. A lot of our friends here today said they are from the South. And I have found that people in the West don't think of people in the South all that much, but I learned that people in the South think a lot about California, and that they were all interested in us, and of course, they think we're all totally nuts. They all think that about us, you know, and uh, they say California is the land of the fruits and the nuts, and and it is true, there is a totally different culture in the southern part of our country, and uh, they say things differently than we would say them here. And so, understanding that we're all busy, I had a friend in Tennessee, he used to say when he was busy, he'd say, I'm busier than a one-eyed cat trying to keep an eye on three mouse holes, okay? That's how he said it. And another guy there, just southern colloquialisms, you know, he said, I'm busier than a one-armed barber with a rash. I'm not even sure what that one means, but I think he was saying uh, he was uh, super busy. But here was the one I thought was pretty good. One guy said, "Uh, I'm busier than a mosquito in a nudist colony. That's how he put it. Now, I've got to clarify, I, uh, I've never been a mosquito, nor have I ever been to a nudist colony, but I would imagine if you were a mosquito and you happened to make your way to a nudist colony, you'd have a lot of work on your hands, okay? So, now the fact of this is, uh, all of us understand that work is a part of it, busyness is a part of our lives, and yet we all have room to learn and grow when it comes to work. And so today, as I talk about this, I've got to lay a foundation before we go on anywhere else. I want to remind you today that no amount of works, no amount of good works can lead us into a relationship with God. We don't work our way into salvation. We don't work our way to maintain salvation. We don't work to earn God's love. We don't work to earn God's favor. And so I've got to say today that when we get, when we get started into this topic and I speak of, of a Christian's work, I want you to know that none of it is done so that we can earn God's acceptance, love, or favor. And the Bible could not be more clear on this, and this, this truth is missed by religion in general religions love to tell you hey here's what to do to work your way into a relationship with god but the relationship that we read of in the bible with jesus christ is all of faith in fact in titus chapter 3 and verse 5 i want to read this verse to you the bible says not everybody say not not by works pretty clear 
Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, the Bible says. But it goes on to say it's according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. To the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote these words. He said, for by grace are you saved, spiritual salvation, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not, everybody say not. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The day will come in my life where I will have preached my last sermon, and I hope if anybody takes the time or has any interest to reflect on sermons that I've brought, I hope they would say, I'll tell you one thing about old Steve. He was a grace preacher. He told people it's not by works of righteousness. It's all based on the goodness and the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God. I hope it could be said of my preaching that I emphasize that Jesus did it all. It's all through faith in him. Works has no place in salvation, in maintaining salvation, or in earning love, favor, or acceptance from God. But I hope that if someone did analyze my sermons they would also come to the conclusion that i believe of all of the people in all of the world christian people should be the most diligent workers no we're not working off a of debt we're working from a foundation of gratitude for what god has done for us and we can be sure of all of this because paul also told the church in ephesus in ephesians 2 and verse 10 he said we are his workmanship in other words we're the product of the work of god were created in Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So if you're a believer today, you're a product of the redemptive work of God, and a response to the grace of God is to live a life of grace, and then to say, you know something, because I'm saved, and I'm loved, and I'm accepted in Christ, I now want to live a life that does good works that can extend the influence of God and help others. In James 2 and verse 26, the Bible says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. No, we don't work to get into the faith. Faith comes first. But if you're a person of faith, the Bible says, in evidence of that is you're going to respond by saying, I want to live a life that works for the Lord. Now, our church is in this study that we've called the church alive. The church alive. And uh, we've seen that the first church in the book of Acts, as it all got started, it was a living, breathing, thriving body. Uh, we saw that their life was shown forth in their witness. They made the last words of Jesus their first concern, and Jesus said, but you shall be witnesses unto me. And so they were a witnessing church. As we went in, uh, on in our study, we learned they were a worshiping church, and everything they did, they wanted to exalt the person and work of Jesus. We saw last week they were a welcoming church, and we saw that by definition, a welcome doesn't mean that you wait inside of your house and in anticipation that someone may happen to come in so that you can go, welcome. We learned that the word welcome means a desired guest. And the most welcoming thing you could do as, as a part of a church family is to get outside of the four walls of the church and go to friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and, and say, hey, you're the guest I'm desiring. Would you be my guest at church? The welcome begins with the invitation. And certainly we want to be kind and gracious to people when they step on our property. Today I'd like to close by sharing with you that a church that is truly alive as opposed to dead in a live church is a church that works together for the glory of God. No, they are not working to gain God's favor or love. 
that's settled at the cross. But from hearts that are grateful for who Jesus is and for what Jesus has done, we seek to serve his cause with this life that he's given to us. I entitled this series of sermons, The Church Alive. And my hope was to share with you the characteristics or the attributes of churches that are fully alive and moving forward for God. But I could have just as easily named this sermon series, The Church Active. Because what we're seeing is that a church that is alive, it does stuff. In fact, this book that we're studying now is called the book of Acts. And when you do Acts, it's because you've been active. It implies work, labor. There are many passages in the book of Acts to which we could go uh, to see a chronicling of all the acts, the uh, activity that they did, the work that they did. But I think we have a special one uh, before us today in Acts 13. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look at this passage together. Acts chapter 13 uh, is where we're going to be. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch. I'm going to just stop for a moment. All, all, all this about the church that we've been learning has been coming out of the city of Jerusalem. And I'll touch on this a bit more in our, in our message. But as the influence of Christ spread, there was kind of a focal point that emerged outside of Jerusalem. And we find there, here in this church in Antioch. The church of Jerusalem was fantastic. We've learned so many good things from it, but we've also learned that God gave them a commandment to go into all the world, and they kind of got happy with what was happening in Jerusalem. And so persecution came, the church spread, and now they're in Antioch. And what we find in the church of Antioch, this was the first church that had that missions focus completely. It was their DNA. This was the church that would say things like missions. Oh, that's not a part of what we do. It's all we do. That's it. It's his mission. And we're engaged with that. So we find these in the church at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they, the church, sent them away. Now, I want you to see this. Who called them? God the Spirit did. Who sent them? The church did. The church got an agreement with God the Spirit. We have these men who'd been called by God to serve as missionaries. Uh, Saul here, whose name would become Paul. And uh, they come to the church, hey, we believe God would have us to be uh, serving God as missionaries. Uh, the church has an understanding, hey, God's working here, and they want to come to agreement with God, and so they make sure they, their testimony's strong, that uh, they know what they're doing, if you would. And then the Bible says in response, it's the church that sent them. Uh, the most recent church we started was a, a, this church in Fontana. Many of you know about uh, from our church. We sent out a staff member, and uh, we've had some folks from our church go out there in Fontana. They're doing great. What is that church called? Rock Hill. Sorry, I was reaching for the name. Rock Hill that our church started. Uh, what happened? We sent them. It was also implied we provided for them. When Matt and Katie left our staff team, they stayed on salary while that church was getting started. And I want our church to know that when we say we support missionaries, we've got to support them. 
be there for them. And so there was this great relationship established, verse 4. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, so the church and the Holy Ghost working together, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. Now one expression I want you to take focus of there in the midst of verse 5. The Bible just says it this way. They preached the word of God. They preached the word of God. So Callie asked, you going to preach pop? Yep. With your book? Yep. The word of God. That's what we've got to live to today. Our Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, help us as we go through this, Lord. What a great passage of scripture. What an incredible topic from which we can learn open our hearts, help us to be a church that is alive in you and for you, and we ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks a lot. You may be seated. I recall so vividly those days when I was receiving my Bible college training. Depending on the day of the week, I'd have one or two classes in at this point, and and we'd hit a point in the day where all the students in this college would come together, and we would have a time they called chapel, chapel service. We'd get together, Similar to a church service, we'd sing a couple songs and, and then we'd hear from guest speakers from across the nation. A lot of the really well-known and greatly used servants of God would come and they would preach the word. And I've got to tell you, I learned a lot in my classes, but chapel for me was my favorite time uh, of the week. We'd get together and these messages would come and uh, they would inspire me and I would dream big dreams for God as I would hear others tell their story. And, and uh, I was shaped to a large degree by hearing from others who'd gone and served and, and done something wonderful for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I noticed a pattern over time. It seemed that the speakers were either experts in church history or they were experts in prophecy. It seemed that some would go back to the book of Acts as we've done and talk about the first century church or maybe they talk about the Coptic revival, how things developed. They would go through the dark ages and the reformation period. They'd talk of the Welsh revival and they would speak of the great awakening and the second great awakening and they would tell amazing stories of things that had happened in the history and others were experts in prophecy. They'd talk about the signs of the times, and they would talk about all the prophetic events on God's divine timeline, and they would talk about the reality that Jesus is coming again, and I enjoyed hearing of what God had done, and I enjoyed hearing of what God would do, and there's a place for all of that, and again, I'm glad to know of a God who's so great he can overcome, and one way I know that is by seeing what's happened in the past. I'm encouraged knowing I have hope of a coming Savior. I'm grateful for the past. I'm hopeful for the future. I just happen to live in the present. And obviously, I don't want to disrespect God's story in the past. I want to learn from it, nor do I want to ignore the reality of his imminent return. I'm believing in it. But what I began to truly long for during my that time in my life was a perspective that would allow me to hold to the past and reach to the future in a way that would make an impact for God in the present. I began to pray daily that God would allow me to find a foundation in his past and in his promises that would allow me to be productive in the present. Now to this point, the book of Acts, we've learned the church revolved around Jerusalem. As I said, it got started there. God did great and miraculous things there, but the command of Jesus was not fully implemented. Now I want to go back to a verse that started this whole study uh, that we began several weeks ago in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. 
The last words of Jesus here, he said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both at Jerusalem and, all, uh, and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus said, listen, I know you're at Jerusalem and you need to reach this city. But while you're reaching this city at the same time, simultaneously, I want you reaching out and abroad and around the world church began to see great things in Jerusalem, and it was not until God brought his gift of persecution that was used to move the church on, and it brought a new focal point to the city of, of Antioch. It, it was this church in Antioch that was seminal in the cause of missions and reaching out with the gospel in a way that had never taken place, and we see these elements we've considered to this point. They were a witnessing church, and they were a worshiping church, and they were a welcoming church, and certainly they were a working church. They knew what God had done. They rejoiced in it. They knew that Jesus was coming again, and they had hope in that, but they were determined to use their time and their space for the work of Jesus Christ. So we think of this passage, we see several elements that pertain specifically to our topic. We get some incredible insight. If we want to be a church that's alive and if we want to be a part of God's great work in the world today, here's the first element we can learn from this church in Antioch. Number one, they worked together. They worked together. In verse one of our text, the Bible says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now in this context, Luke, who, who wrote the book of Acts, he's, he's introducing us to these teachers and leaders and proclaimers of the word of God. But there's something really important here, even about the names that were mentioned. What we find in these names is the reality that the Bible's telling us there was a group that was super diverse here. I had the time to go into the background of each of these names, what we would see in a more in-depth study just of the names that we find in verse 1, we would find that they were nationally and ethnically diverse. We would see that they were diverse in their gifting. Some were more of the encouraging type, and others were more of the prophetic, out-front, uh, hard-charging type. And, and uh, uh, we would see that there were some in here that were diverse even in their stations in life. It's true. Uh, most of those first-century Christians were very common, ordinary people, and yet we read of at least one in this list who was raised in the home of a king. And Coastline, I'm sharing that with you today because I want you to come to understand that no one is unimportant in the work of God. And it matters not what country you're from, what your ethnicity is, what your first language is, what kind of home you were brought up in. When we come together under the banner of the local New Testament church, we've got to understand that God has said that we're a body and we're members in particular. And there is no unimportant member within this body God wants to use your life and we work best when we work together can somebody say amen to the believers in Philippi who were an outgrowth of this church in Antioch Paul wrote this he said only let your conversation or your life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, guys, you need to have one spirit and one mind, and that kind of unity is only found when we're following one God and finding our directions from one book. 
And, and he says, I want you guys to work together, strive together for the faith of the gospel. And friends, there is no way we can strive together if we're not willing to roll up our sleeves and join in the work. I praise God for everybody that comes to Coastline and finds a comfortable seat and uh, does your best to enjoy whatever it is we can give as a service. But God's work goes forward when Christians say, hey, this isn't a spectator sport. Where can I serve? How can I help? They work together. Years ago, uh, I took a trip to the Philippines and some folks from uh, our church went. And I, I, it, This was one of my favorite trips I've ever taken. I think there were about 14 or 15 in our group. And uh, we had a fantastic time and saw God do some, some great, great things. There was one church we were going to be at, and they'd asked me if I would preach uh, just outside of Manila in the Philippines. It was that church's 26th anniversary. And of course, we were all excited to be there. It was an honor to be a part of a special day. And so I was talking with the pastor. He, he was telling me, he said, we're going to have more than 10,000 in church tomorrow. Well, I knew that church averaged about 1,000 people. And uh, I'm all for big goals, but some goals are just crazy, you know? And uh, really, you're going to have 10,000 tomorrow. So, I mean, my wheels are spinning. I'm a pastor. I want to learn. What does this guy know that I don't know, you know? And, and uh, so I kind of tactfully, diplomatically said, uh, how, how are you going to do that? He said, oh, it's easy. We have 1,000 people in our church, and I just asked all of them to each bring 10 friends. I'm like, this is your strategy? This, this was your big plan? That's what you did? Yeah, yeah, he said, I, I gave him several months to prepare. I just let him know on this day, we're going to have a, a great big service. And they made arrangements to accommodate a crowd. And he said, I, I need every single one of you to bring, to bring 10 guests on that day. Okay, good meeting. God bless you. Thanks. Let's have a great day. And that was the plan. And I thought, that's not going to work. I pastor people who I frequently ask to do things, and it doesn't always take place. You know, we showed up the next day. I was highly skeptical, and uh, I remember there were more than 15,700 people that came, and on that day, more than 4,000 responded to the gospel invitation and were dealt with personally uh, by counselors who led them to faith in Jesus Christ. What happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. There was a group of believers that got together and said, Jesus is real. Hell is hot. Heaven is high. If we work together, we can make a difference. Let's all do something everybody's got to do their part let's labor for the glory of God and an entire city was touched and the Lord received much glory they worked together second thought this morning their work was all about Jesus just all about Jesus I, I'm up to here with politics in the church I don't like it outside the church most of the time to be honest with you but listen these people weren't trying to make a name for themselves build a kingdom unto themselves they said, let's do something for Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Notice what we find in verse 2. The Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord. Now we could step back and say, now wait a minute. As they ministered to the Lord, they were ministering to people. To people. And I think if someone from the church of Antioch were here this morning, they'd say, no, 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 no. People might have been the ones receiving our ministry, but really it was all for the Lord and to the Lord. And friends, until we see that our work is to God and for God, we'll never see the impact that we need to make. You see, when you do what you do just for the result you get, it can quickly become all about you, and then you're just a pride monster, an egomaniac. 
trying to get the big win so you can prove something to yourself or to some other person. When you do what you do just for the result's sake, it can become all about pride. When you do what you do just for people, I promise you, you won't have longevity in the work of God because most people are, are, are a little bit nutty. You know, everyone in this room's good, but I mean, you know, other people, sometimes they aren't always easy to work with and they're not always thankful for it. If you're doing what you're doing for people, it won't take you long to figure out they're not worth it. But if you do what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ and His glory, you'll have a motivation that will lead you forward. You're working from a heart of gratitude and God can use a church like that. As we began our study, we took time to go to Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, we read that it was the Lord that added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord added to the church. It was the Lord that added to the church. And he added to a church that was filled with workers in his work who extended invitations and shared the gospel. Listen, friends, I want to tell you what we are. We're workmen for the Lord. We work for Jesus, and it's Jesus who adds to his church. Paul in 2 Timothy 2 said this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul said, listen, let's not forget what we are. We're workmen. We're, we're on God's team. It's all about His work. We're workmen, laborers. We're to be co-laborers. This work is to be by God and for God and to God. So we move on in this verse. We see thirdly together their work centered on prayer if you're still with me say amen. amen their work centered on prayer now in verse 2 we read that they had fasted in verse 3 we read this and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them they sent them away and again that word sent i want you to get the idea that meant hey we're in this with you it doesn't mean be away with you it means you're going out of us you're you're a, a part of us and and they were with them in that work and before they formally sent this team into the work of missions, the Bible says they fasted and prayed. Now, fasting is a practice of setting aside something that uh, is ordinarily not a bad thing. It's good for us, but setting something aside for the purpose of, of really getting in tune with the Spirit of God. And in most cases, in the case here, fasting meant they would say, hey, we're not going to eat for a period of time because we want to use that time as time to pray and go to God and, and say, God, we want to hear from you. And these people were passionate about, about their understanding of needing God. And so they would fast and pray. The two uh, went together. Now, I've been told over the years by some that, you know, pastor, I just can't serve anymore, so I'll just, I'll just pray. And I have two issues with that statement. Here's the first one. It's true that our energy and our opportunities may change in the course of our lives but we all can serve in one way or another. We all can. You see, when it comes to prayer uh, or work, it's not either or, it's both. Everybody can do something. And I say that to, today to say this, never sell yourself short. Never sell yourself short. The second issue I have with that statement is the idea that prayer is somehow a lesser important part of the work of God. I can't do the work, I can only spend time in prayer. 
And the fact is, prayer is very much a part of the work of God. Nothing happens until we pray. One author from years ago named Oswald Chambers said it this way. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Friends, you need to know today that we're to pray before we work, and we're to pray while we work, and we're to pray after we have worked. For when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And something happens when a church comes together and says, hey, in the midst of our work, let's not forget the greater work, the work of prayer, asking God to do what only He can do, because doing God's work requires a power we don't possess. In Zechariah, the Bible says it this way, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God said, I've got a power for you, and prayer is what accesses the, the, the leading, the divine enabling of God. In Luke chapter 11, uh, the Lord says this, and I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And friends, a church that is alive is a church that's going regularly to the Lord, and we're asking, and we're seeking, and we're knocking, saying, God, would you do a work in us so that you then can work through us? We come not, Lord. Lord, in a selfish mindset, but with a servant's heart. Use us in your work. Then I want us to see, fourthly today, finally, their work was gospel-focused. Their work was gospel-focused. They worked together. Uh, they focused on Jesus. It was all about Jesus. They prayed. And uh, as that was done, the Bible tells us next that they sent a team out to share the gospel with, with even more people, expanding the uh, influence of, of Christ. In verses 4 and 5, we read it this way. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. From thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. So the Bible tells us they went to great lengths and they went to great expense so that they could preach the word of God. It was all about getting the gospel message out to as many as possible. That's what it was all about. I mean, everything up to that point, it was a means to an end. The end was tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell people about the Lord. That's what it's all about. Jeremy Panero, our missionary, was with us last week. Our missionary, Papua New Guinea, very, or excuse me, we had Papua New Guinea was a week before the Kex. He's to Vanuatu, a very poor country, and uh, he talked about how medical teams would come in. And uh, listen, it's a good thing to help people who have medical needs. That's a great thing. His motivation wasn't just to treat people physically who would die at some point in the future anyhow. He used that as an occasion to gather people together to preach the gospel. It's all about getting the gospel message of Jesus Christ out and friends there is a danger in every church and there is a danger in every christian of getting inward focused thinking only about me and mine or a church thinking of only us in ours and there is no doubt we need to care for one another i preached a whole message on that even in this series that is to happen but ultimately we care for one another so that we can be in good health spiritually so that we can get engaged in the work of getting the gospel message out in second timothy paul was writing to a young pastor named timothy and uh his words really speak to us all in second timothy 4 and verse 5 paul's writing to this guy and he says timothy watch thou in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist what's the work of an evangelist to evangelize okay make full proof of the, the of thy ministry i love how paul here he, he just says listen timothy be careful in your life 
Be careful. Uh, keep going even when it gets tough. Make sure you invest your life in the work of evangelism. What was he saying, Timothy? Share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. A few moments ago, I mentioned a group from our church that went on a trip to the Philippines years back. And so on that same trip, uh, we went to a, an island in the Philippines called Ilo Ilo. And we visited one of our missionaries there, uh, missionary Rick Martin. Just an incredible, incredible place, an incredible person. And uh, uh, I want to be clear, I don't know every missionary in the world, but I know a bunch of them, okay? And uh, I don't know of a missionary who's been more fruitful uh, than what I've observed at the ministry there where Rick Martin leads. Now, I, I'm the first to recognize some fields are harder than others and all of that. I, taking all that into account, I've never seen a missionary go somewhere so radically change the place where they are and beyond. Uh, Pastor Martin is on the island of Iloilo, and he's in a city there also called Iloilo. Uh, massive influence for Jesus Christ. They have about 300 extension ministries around their church throughout that island. It, it's just impossible to get everybody in. I was talking to one of the staff members there. He said, yeah, they, they average about 60 each, and I'm not real good at math, but that's about 18,000 people that gather on a Sunday to worship, not counting the massive numbers that come to their main campus right in the middle of the city. They've changed. They've changed a city. Changed. But every single week, they start a new church. Now that blows my mind. Every week, they start a new church. Now again, these are in villages. When we think of a church, we think of, you know, screens and buildings. And th this is more of a... Uh, a village setting but every week they start a new church I was talking with our missionary and I said how in the world do you guys do that he said well we preach the gospel and people get saved because there's power in the gospel how many of you believe there's power in the gospel message he said and people get saved and he said uh, not, not all Christians really want to live for God he said, so we're thankful that everybody gets saved and we want to lead everybody into a life of just full surrender to Jesus. But he said, but there are those. They just, they yield their life to God. Salvation for them is not fire insurance. It's, yeah, I've got a new purpose now. He said, so people get saved and some totally surrender. And those that surrender, a lot of them say, I want to, I want to, serve Jesus in a full-time way with my life. He said, so we've got a Bible college, and they've got a, a large Bible college there. And, and he said, as our graduates come out, uh, just the understanding, this is just kind of our system, the understanding is, uh, man, we want to plug you into one of the villages. There's 7,000 islands in the Philippines. Not all of these are huge uh, metro areas. Now, Manila is massive, you know, 20 plus million people in Metro Manila, but most of the Philippines, it's more rural, and, and uh, they'll send a graduate out to a place where maybe there's just several hundred people in that area. And he said, we'll, we'll get them out there. And, and I said, well, how do you finance all of this? And he said, well, these aren't missionaries from America. They don't need plane tickets, and they have no experience with Western life that they need to try and recreate. He said, we just help them get a little piece of land where they can plant a garden. We give them some chickens. And, uh, and he said, you know, there's bananas that just grow on trees where, where they're going, and they, they can do it. 
He said, honestly, just a few hundred dollars, they're up and running. We stay in touch with them, we encourage them, we help them. And uh, well, I start doing the math. You know, you, you figure that's a, an amazingly low amount, but one every week. I said, how do you come up with that money? He said, well, churches that support us like yours, Steve, you guys, you guys help a lot. But he said, honestly, our church does most of it. The Philippines is a beautiful country. The, the people are incredible. Faithful, faithful Christians, so many of them that I've met there. But where Pastor Martin is, there's not tons of money. And uh, he said, our people give just sacrificially because they've just come to the conclusion my purpose of being on earth is to serve God. I was just blown away by this, you know. And uh, he said, Steve, let me give you an example. He said, there's not great medical care in our city. And he said, years ago, it was much worse. And he said, there, there are a lot of common ailments that can lead to blindness that in most countries just eye drops or something simple can take care of it but he said without that medical care he said we had a lot of blind people in in our area and he said they do the only thing they can do they just sit around and beg and try and get a few coins together a day and that's their life and and he said you know there are people that Jesus loves and died for too and so we started having outreach to blind people and telling them about Jesus and he said man a bunch of them got saved and he said, I just got a burden on my heart. You know, these people need a better life. Someone needs to help them. And uh, there was a big house in the middle of, of their town. And uh, he said, God provided a way for us to buy that. And we turned it into a home for blind people. And he said, we're producing a lot of uh, Christian books that are going all throughout Asia and a lot of other things. And he said, so people live there. And, and uh, what we do is we give them an opportunity to assemble books and some of the other things they do. And he said, we can pay them a wage that gives them dignity and a respectful life and meets their needs and, and, uh, and, and just a little extra beyond that. But he said, it was just a way we thought we could provide a great life for these people that otherwise would not have had one. He said, Steve, you're not going to believe it. Uh, we had a church planner going out not too long ago. And I, I got a phone call that the folks living at the blind home wanted to see me and they gave me an offering to provide for one of these missionaries he said they have so little he said I was just amazed at their sacrifice I want you to imagine that people that cannot see physically saying I must do something so that people can see spiritually People living in darkness, doing all they can to spread the light. To spread the light. Friends, there is something for each of us to do to expand the work of Jesus. I've talked about Open House Sunday next week. I know it's not the only thing. But it's a thing. You say, well, Pastor, what is Open House Sunday exactly? It's a holy excuse. It's a holy excuse for us to invite our friends, our neighbors, our family, and our co-workers 
to a church that will be ready for their arrival on that day where there will be something special for the kids and, and a great service plan. I'll be kicking off a new teaching series uh, about how we can deal with the tension that comes from transitions in our lives, and I'll be preaching the gospel message. It's just us as a church saying, hey guys, what do you say? Why don't we have a special Sunday, and uh, uh, we'll bring friends. All right, good. Ryan, you think you can get the team up here fired up? Hey, no problem, good to go. All right, I'll preach a gospel message. We've got our guest experience teams going. The guys in the parking lot, can you be extra friendly? All right, good, let's, let's do all we can. Ushers, you good? Media guys and nursery workers and children workers and singers and instrumentalists and, and all of it. It's just us saying, hey, we're a church, we're the body of Christ. What do you say? Why don't we exert a little more energy on this special occasion so that more people can hear the gospel and come to know Jesus Christ it's our desire to hold to the past and say thank God for the truth of his word and for the heritage the legacy that we've entered into and we're looking forward in the future saying I'm so glad that Jesus is coming again and I believe in the imminent return of Jesus the rapture of the church and and yet it's our way of saying but God we've just got a really brief time frame here in our lifetimes to work with and we want to make the most of it would you help us to that end? Friends, I want to encourage us as we study the Bible, just going through these verses, what do you say? Why don't we do our very best for the Lord? Our Father, thank you for this first service, the opportunity to uh, just open your word so that we can learn from the, the church in this first century. God, it's just so encouraging to see how you used a group of ordinary people and common people and when they came together and worked as a team and kept it all about you and focused on the gospel message lord it was then that you used them to do something spectacular in their area and beyond god everyone in this room is a christian right now we can trace our spiritual heritage and lineage right back to those faithful christians who did not let it stop with them People like Saul, who would go on to become the Apostle Paul, who became the missionary of the Gentile world. Lord, for most of us in this room this morning, it was, it was his missionary influence of sharing the gospel that brought the message of Jesus to us. And God, I pray we'd keep it going. That those within the sphere of our influence would never be able to say, I didn't know, I never heard, no one ever reached out to me. God, may we be the ones, may we be your hands, your voice to reach to those around us, we pray.